Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture from Washington, D.C. I am uh, at USDA today, and we'll have some information from our event here on tomorrow's program. But right now, we're going to have a program uh, talking with various ag groups about some of the issues of the day. We'll talk a lot about trade. We're going to talk with pork and beef and biodiesel a little bit later. But we're going to start off talking ethanol with our good friend Bob Deneens, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob EPA has a proposed RVO level uh, uh, announcement. Well, I guess it's not an announcement. They've submitted and we'll see what it is. But it looks like it's not a big improvement over what we've seen. No, look, nobody's seen it. Uh, there are some press reports that would suggest EPA is going to propose a slight increase over this year's levels, which would be consistent with what EPA has done the past couple of years and would be a disappointment. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be looking at that awfully closely because one of the things it should include is finally addressing the 500 million gallons that the court ordered EPA to replace from the 2016 RVO. I mean, and from the numbers that are being talked about, it does not appear that they are including that 500 million gallons. So uh, we, we are going to be skeptical until we see it in black and white. But uh, we need a shot in the arm right now, not another kick in the pants. We're just a couple of weeks away from June 1st. Are we going to get this E15 uh, deal done or not? I, I think we will, but you know me. I'm ever the optimist, right? Uh, I think enough people at EPA have committed to getting that done that it will be, get done, but they'll break all kinds of land speed records for it to happen. I've been in this town for 35 years. I've never seen a regulation go from proposal to final in the time frame that EPA is going to have to do. They've got to get this on the street in two and a half weeks. But as we've said all along, it won't have the impact it could have had if they're going to keep granting waivers and we don't get those gallons back that have been lost. Well, that's exactly right. Our, our assessment is they get this done by June 1st. This summer, it might mean another 50 million gallons of ethanol. That's great. And it sends a powerful signal to the industry. But if that positive signal is followed with another billion gallons of demand destruction because, you know, EPA Administrator Wheeler decides he's got to reward his oil buddies with another 40 waivers from the program, then, you know, that is a deal that doesn't work for us. What do you think about this concept of partial waivers? I, I think it's like kissing your sister, pardon me. But, you know, that would have just as negative an impact. So instead of, you know, on a billion and a half gallons, you're talking about 750 million gallons. Again, you got to offset that with 50 million gallons of increased demand. No, that math doesn't work. That's not the art of the deal. That's the art of something that I can't tell you. You know, if E15 is approved for the summer months, it'll no doubt be challenged by the oil industry. I just don't see what their grounds for, or how much ground they'd have under them with when E15's already approved for a lot of the country already for year round. Oh, absolutely. I mean, their, their legal arguments are shallow. And it's really not much other than protecting market share. In fact, uh, I was reviewing the comments on this rule that were filed by uh, the organization representing the refiners, and they say in black and white, you know, this is going to cost us market share. Okay, 
you know, at least you were honest about it. But law was intended to do the renewable fuel standard and the and the policies that the government has been operating have been designed to increase ethanol use, decrease our reliance on imported oil, and I'm sorry, yeah, reduce you know production or, or demand for petroleum. That's what it's about. We're talking to Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Everybody talking about China and concerns about trade with China. It certainly impacts the ethanol industry as well. Well, in 2016, we exported about 300 million gallons to China. It was our fastest growing market and one of our largest markets, but certainly the fastest growing. And then 2017 came and they decided enough's enough. They imposed a 35% duty. They increased that to 70% last year. And so today, there's no ethanol going to China. There's no distillers feed going to China. And it's for no other reason other than protectionism. And it is hurting their consumers that are being denied access to a clean burning, but the lowest cost octane source on the planet. Uh, and just what? To protect their farmers that really aren't producing anyway? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. We are seeing a lot of demand for ethanol around the world, aren't we? Well, we exported to 60 million, I'm sorry, we exported to 60 countries across the globe last year, more than 1.7 billion gallons of fuel. It is the difference between plants shutting down and people being able to keep their doors open because in the face of 2.5 billion gallons of demand destruction, we needed that 1.7 billion just to keep our heads above water. That market is going to continue to grow unless this tide of protectionism continues to permeate the global markets. And we have seen it, uh, you know, continue to grow, and that's troubling to us. The lawsuits that you've filed um, on the RFS, are we any closer to seeing resolution in any of those? Well, the, the, uh, the courts move kind of slow. And we are making some progress. We've filed all, everything we need to file in our Tenth Circuit case, but uh, they haven't scheduled oral arguments yet. That's probably the one we'll see resolution first, and that probably comes late fall of this year. But some of the other cases we filed in the U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals, where we're challenging the underlying uh, statute and how EPA has implemented it, and their use of small refinery waiver authority, that, that's just going to take a little bit longer. We hope, though, that within the next year or two, we'll, we'll have those issues resolved. But you know what, Mike? We shouldn't have to go to court. We shouldn't have to litigate against this administration that has a president that, that says all the right things about wanting to grow this industry. We, we ought not be able to, or ought not have to, you know, sue this government to see our markets grow, and that's what it's come to, and that's a shame. Have you seen any improvement in, under EPA from a biofuel standpoint under Andrew Wheeler from Scott Brewer? You know, I've known Andy Wheeler for 25 years. He's a good guy. I think he's a straight shooter. Um, but when he was nominated, I really thought I would see more of a difference. I was telling people, no, oh, he'll be a lot different than Scott Pruitt. And he's maybe a bit more transparent, but the policy outcomes so far have been largely the same. So I can't say that there's any difference. And what confuses me is does nobody listen to what the president says? Because the president will say one thing, and it doesn't seem to filter down to EPA. You know, read a newspaper every once in a while, see what your president is telling you to do. 
Are they trying to please both sides? Well, I, yeah, there's a bit too much of that. Uh, you know, they'll give us a, a RVP waiver, but then they'll waive the program for some refineries, small refineries like ExxonMobil. I'm sorry. Is that really a fair trade? I don't think so. That's Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Good to see you, my friend. Always great to see you. Appreciate you. That countdown clock is on for June 1st. Will we get that E15 rule approved or not? We shall see. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk trade issues with the National Pork Producers Council. Stay with us. From Washington, D.C., you're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. People respond differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it. And some are inspired by it. Those who spend their days tending to the land have a unique perspective on change. They see it up close every day as one season fades into another, as a seed grows into a stalk, as a field of gold is spun out of the land, sun, and sky. Change is their livelihood. Since the beginning, Poet has shared a fundamental connection with farmers. And like farmers, we see the world differently. We are inspired by change. Climate change may be the most daunting challenge yet, but we believe it's not insurmountable. The same spirit of innovation that helped build a worldwide biofuels industry will help us tackle the environmental issues we're facing today, together. Sustainable biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins. These solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration 
filtration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day. You simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture from Washington, D.C. As we continue our discussions uh, with uh, several ag groups about key ag issues, the, the one topic that comes up with just about everyone we talk with is uh, China, of course. And joining us now uh, with the National Pork Producers Council is Maria Ziva, Director of International Affairs. Maria, um, you're perspective on on the latest situation with China no deal reached last week tariffs being raised uh, by the Trump administration now retaliatory tariffs being announced coming up uh, from China where are we with all this well it looks like for the US pork producers we are still facing that 62 plus percent tariff um, no change on that unfortunately that's a lot a steeper tariff than our competitors are facing mm -hmm. so we're not looking forward to continuing to pay that but they have a need for pork and for protein because of African swine fever. I understand we're still selling some in there, but how frustrating is this? I know it has to be for producers. There's this great opportunity there if we could just get this trade agreement done. Yeah, 2018 was set to be a tremendous year for, for us and our exports. And unfortunately, because of those retaliatory tariffs, both on the Mexican and the Chinese market, we, we took quite a hit. And uh, we're hoping that we can see some resolution in the next few months um, to really help our producers get through some of these tough times. What is the opportunity, you think, there? If, if they would come to a deal sometime soon and that market has opened up to U.S. pork produce, producers, given what's gone on with African swine fever, the animals that they've had to kill, what is that market opportunity? I think with China, it would be uh, a pretty good opportunity for U.S. pork on the offalls, on just, just about anything. Unfortunately, right now, that opportunity is going to the Europeans and the Canadians and the Mexicans that aren't having to pay that 62-plus percent duty on their product. And as long as we're at an economic disadvantage, they're going to be taking advantage of that. Is there an opportunity created if those countries are supplying the pork into China? Does that mean that they're not able to uh, fulfill, you know, product to all the other customers that they did have, does that open up another opportunity somewhere for U.S. pork producers? We haven't necessarily been seeing that. Um, I think it's because of that product mix that's very unique into China. 
Uh, it's very unique into the Japanese market, which is also a place where we're facing a tough disadvantage. We do not have uh, preferential market access, unlike the Europeans and unlike the Mexicans and the Canadians and the Chileans through their free trade agreements. So that's where we've also been putting a lot of time and effort into wrapping up those negotiations with the Japanese and making sure that we have a good deal. Are you more optimistic on the uh, Japanese situation? I, I, you know, it's really hard to be optimistic nowadays. Um, perhaps I've been hanging out with farmers too long. Um, but, you know, with the Japanese market, they, we've, we've been very loyal customers to them. And uh, they've been loyal customers to us, I should say. And we want to make sure that we keep fulfilling those orders. Do you hear and detect more frustration from producers now that we're not seeing these trade deals uh, get done? Our producers have been very patriotic and they understand what our, our administration is doing and the overall goal. So I think that they're willing to, um, they, they see what the benefits would be in the long run. But at some point, they have to see some you know, something done, right? I mean, promises are one thing and we hear about things to come, but at some point it's gotta happen. We'll see when we reach that point. That's a very diplomatic answer. We're talking with Maria Zeba with the National Pork Producers Council. All right, let's talk about USMCA. The tariffs are still on Mexico and Canada, and uh, that's having a terribly negative impact on our pork sales. Yeah, we're facing a 60% duty into the Mexican market. Uh, no retaliation yet by the Canadians, but they did make that statement a month ago that they wanted to add pork. Um, you know, those are really big markets for us and we not need to make sure that we remove those retaliatory duties on both Canada and Mexico because it, it is having a major impact on us. How do you read the tea leaves on USMCA? We've heard critics of it say that, uh, you know, they don't like certain aspects of it, that those would have to be addressed. Obviously, if you, I can't see the deal being redone, and if they can't be addressed by side letter or amendment, where does that leave us? This is all part of the negotiation process, and with USMCA, we've seen it time and time again on other trade agreements. Um, you know, it's to be expected. Uh, but I think that having those 232 tariffs really does uh, strain a vote. Mm -hmm. So obviously when you look at USMCA, uh, China and, and Japan, those are the key markets right now. But what about our other markets? Are we seeing any growth in them when it comes to U.S. pork exports? Yeah, we've seen some tremendous growth in some of our uh, free trade agreement partners. Um, we actually export more to the 20 countries with which we have a free trade agreement than to the rest of the world combined. And we want to keep seeing those barriers being knocked down through free trade agreements. And they've been very beneficial for pork producers, which is why we want to keep negotiating. Good example of how these trade agreements help. Uh, what are some of those key markets for U.S. pork? In the last few years, we've seen how Colombia has been a key market for us. Um, we've also seen some tremendous growth in Central America, which people would not necessarily think of um, positive countries. The spread of African swine fever, um, they, China doesn't seem to be able to get that under control. Are you hearing from other countries that they're concerned that it's gonna to continue to spread? 
We've seen some reports of African swine fever spreading throughout China and other parts of Asia. That's really concerning for us. Um, Vietnam, Cambodia, you know, some of those borders are very porous and um, that, that's very concerning for us, especially with this disease that is so hard to get rid of. So while it might create the opportunity to sell into some of those countries, not that you want anything bad to happen to anyone, but it does create an opportunity. There's always that concern and that challenge of keeping it out of the United States. 100%. We're working very closely with our producers. Um, we're on education and we also are working very closely with the federal government, with inspectors at our ports and with additional beagles at the airports. We need to do everything we can as an industry to make sure that we do not get ASF into this country. Are there some potential that have not been big customers of U.S. pork that do you think we can still tap into? Or is that list getting shorter all the time? Uh, there is definitely a, a lot of countries that we're looking into, especially in Southeast Asia, and we're looking at um, what opportunities we could have in those markets. Mm -hmm. So the, those uh, always looking for, obviously, for a home for, for U.S. pork. When we look at the importance of pork exports to the U.S. pork industry. Uh, kind of give us an idea of why these issues are so important to pork producers. Well, like I said, exports um, really contribute to the bottom line of our products. Uh, our producers um, add $53 to the price of each hog. Last year, average price was about $140. So it's really important to make sure that we have these exports. Um, we also need to make sure that we have a preferential market access where we break down these barriers to trade because um, that's really where we see a lot of gains is in those export markets, not necessarily domestically. Of USMCA, China and Japan, I know they're all important, but from the pork perspective, is one deal more important than the other? All market access is really important for our producers. Um, you know, removing the 232 tariffs is at the top of our list, mm -hmm. along with passing USMCA and making sure we have negotiated a deal with the Japanese. I think, you know, those are all very important pillars to the future of the pork industry. So is it safe to say uh, that the tariff situation, lack of an agreement with China and Japan, that impacts the potential of what we could do there. But the, the tariffs on Mexico in particular, that's hurting a business we already had. Yes, we've definitely heard that business. Um, customers are looking elsewhere. Um, we don't have a 20 plus percent advantage into that market. So we've been eating that, that cost into the Mexican market. Um, Mexico also takes about 60% of the hams that we export, uh, hams and shoulders that we export. So it's, it's not like we can find a different place for that. Is there a concern that even with an agreement, if they've already found other suppliers, they would stay with them? Or do you feel that that market's going to come back to the U.S.? You know, it really depends on how long this drags on um, because the longer you aren't a reliable customer or you have to pay 20% more for a product, uh, the more that it, it creates a strain on that relationship that we've worked over 20 plus years to cultivate. 
So there could be long-term damage and long-term implications if this is not resolved soon. All right, Maria, thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right, that's Maria Ziva, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Coming up, we're going to talk about these issues from the beef perspective. We're also going to be talking about biodiesel still on the program. So stay with us from Washington, D.C. You're listening to AOA. comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level Don reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives, solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network, broadcasting from Washington, D.C., where NAFB's Washington Watch is underway. To start off the trading week, we had a mixed close yesterday for the grain and oil seed sector, sharply lower for livestock futures, limit lower in lean hogs, where we are operating on this Tuesday with expanded limits, sharp losses seen in cattle futures. Grain and oil seed sector ended in a mix. According to the Wire Talk, China may consider stopping purchases of U.S. soybeans as a result of trade tariffs and swine flu trade at the top of many people's minds here in Washington, D.C. The situation has impacted domestic demand, ending stocks coming in at 995 million bushels on beans versus the average estimate of 926 million in Friday's USDA report. With our Tuesday market numbers, we send it back to the studio. Here is Kirsten Rawl. On the Board of Trade, soybeans are rebounding after yesterday's lows. The front month is up 23 at 825 and a half. Front month for corn is up 12 and a half at 369. For the wheats, Minneapolis spring wheat July up 9 at 527. Kansas City wheat July up 10 and 3 quarters at 407 and 3 quarters. Chicago wheat July up 11 and a quarter at 448 and a quarter. 
For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, June up 85 at 110.60. In feeder cattle futures, steady to $1.40 higher. Front month at 136.32. In lean hog futures, June 272 higher at 89.40. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 189 points higher. The NASDAQ composite is up 43. The S&P is up 16. That's a check of your ag markets on this Tuesday's trading session. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rawl for the American Ag Network. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. I am in Washington, D.C. and have a chance to talk with a number of leaders from various ag groups. And joining me now is Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, everybody talking about trade and concerns with China and, and uh, have, you know, now we're, we've escalated, it looks like, the tariff war between the two countries. I mean, are you seeing any bright spot in this at all? At least, I, I guess, the one bright spot is they've, they're still going to talk, so that's good. But uh, other than that, do you see anything good out of this? Oh, we do see something good in the fact that, one, you already mentioned it, they're still at the table talking. And I think this escalation, while in the short run, is going to be painful. In the long run, we do believe is going to help us send a very clear signal to the Chinese that they have to act on our request. And for us in the cattle business, it's trying to make sure that they address this issue of implant hormone use here in the United States and also beta agonists. So I think this was a very real shot across the bow saying we're serious and you need to remain serious because we need some real action here. So yeah, short short term, uh, we're a little concerned. Long term, I still think this is going to be a, a good overall trade deal for us once it's finalized. And we do believe it will be finalized. You do. You're, you're optimistic that it'll be done. Uh, it, it, it comes, this impasse comes at such a inopportune time, not that there's ever a good time, but with the opportunity that, you know, they have because of uh, African swine fever, there's obviously a protein need in China. There is a protein need, and that's going to continue to grow, and that pressure is going to keep the Chinese at the table. If you look at where we have been in years prior in regards to talking to the Chinese, especially on beef access, we've gotten close so many times, and they've just completely walked away. And we have made it even more difficult for them here in this round, and they're still at the table. 
that's why I remain optimistic they want to get something done. And as this protein pressure continues to, to grow, I think that bodes well for our chances of getting what we want out of a final deal. Let's switch to USMCA. There seems to be some pretty significant hurdles among some members of Congress to, uh, to passing this. Now, we, we still got to wait for it really to officially be submitted and get going. But do you see those as uh, some of the concerns raised by some, especially Democrats at this point, are these deal breakers, you think? Or are they just unwilling to give what anything that looks like a victory to the president? They're not necessarily deal breakers, but they do have to be addressed. And that means that the administration needs to continue to sit down with the Democrats in the House in particular and make sure they understand what the next steps are, whether those are side agreements, making sure that the House of Representatives knows exactly what happened with the labor provisions passed by the Mexican Congress a couple of weeks ago, so that way they know how that really ties into USMCA and some of these labor demands. So I think there's going to have to be a little hand-holding to some extent to walk the Democrats through it. Now, we saw a couple of quotes today from Congressman uh, uh, Blumenauer from, uh, from Oregon who said that, you know, we just need to be very methodical here. He didn't say no, and I think that's a key, is there's been only a few people who have absolutely said no. Everybody else seems to be willing to talk about this. So I still think there's some hope to get a, a date for a vote. But when Nancy Pelosi says these issues can't be addressed by side letter or amendment, does that concern you that it would take redoing the actual deal itself? You know, it does concern us because you're right, it would take redoing the deal, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. But also, I believe that there is a way to get around some of these demands with just a, a little simple attention from the administration to Speaker Pelosi and, and her team. Uh, I think there's things that both sides can still do to get us to a point where we can have a vote. Now, there are talks going on with Japan. There's optimism expressed. Is it real optimism or are we being kind of uh, led down the, the path here again that, oh, here could be another big deal coming? You know, that, that's a good point, because as you look at the uh, two previous uh, talks we've just yeah. said, you know, there's nothing really to show, but yet we're still optimistic. Uh, but I'm more optimistic about the Japanese talks than anything else right now. And that's based upon what we have already seen, because we're seeing that optimism not only from the U.S. Trade Representative's office. But we're also seeing that optimism from the Japanese government. The Japanese government is very clear in their communications with us that they want to see this thing done. Now, they've also made it very clear that it's not going to be any better than TPP was. And, you know, when we look at that, we were fine with TPP. Let's just get it done. And let's get it done quick because every day we, we miss here, that's one more day that Australia and Canada have better access into Japan than we do in terms of the overall tariff. Are we getting to a point, and I realize that trade deals are complex and they take time to negotiate, but if you're looking at it from a political standpoint, doesn't the administration run the risk here of over-promising and under-delivering if some of these don't come through before long? You know, that is a great point because here we are uh, looking very, uh, very closely at a 2020 election that's going to be here before we know it. And as you said, when we look at the history of trade deals, it takes a long time to get these things done. Is there a scenario where come uh, November 2020, this administration is basically done? They have nothing to show for it. That is a possibility. It is a possibility. We're watching that very closely. But at the same time, we can't allow that to detract us from what we need to do now. And that is support this administration on the talks they are having and continue to put pressure on the House Democrats to vote for USMCA. So our focus right now is what we can achieve rather than what the hypotheticals are in the years out. We're talking with Colin Whittall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, let's switch to another topic. There is growing interest and attention and publicity 
to these imitation meat products that are being developed. How do you in the beef industry view this and do you have a strategy for dealing with it moving forward? Our big focus so far has been making sure that the product has actually going to be regulated and inspected and also to ensure that when it's labeled, it is clear on what this product is. And through the memorandum of understanding that was put in place between USDA and FDA, we have achieved that. So now the next step for us is to try to help determine what that product's actually going to be called. And that's going to be a challenge because it's something we're going to have to agree to, it's something that companies are going to have to agree to, and that ultimately USDA approves. But the bigger question that keeps coming up is where do we just stand on the overall product itself? NCBA is not against the technology. Technology is something that we use in cattle production. These are private enterprise companies that are trying to uh, appease a consumer or put a product out there for a consumer. And if they are successful in doing that, we're not going to stand in their way. We have simply asked that since they're going to compete in the meat space, that they be inspected like us and ultimately clearly labeled. And we do believe we've achieved that thus far. Do you have a concern, especially in the environment which we are today in this country, that they will be able, they that make that product, those products, will be able to sell it to consumers as, look, you can still have meat, it'll taste like the meat you have known, but in this way, you're basically going to be more environmentally friendly, you're going to save the planet by having this type of a product for your meat rather than the traditional product. Well, it's definitely something that we're looking at, but we really can't quantify yet that yet because... We don't know what the inputs are that go into this product. And so they very well may make the claim that they are not utilizing as much land as we do in raising beef uh, the way God intended. But the fact is there are still resources going into that product. So there is still going to pull, be a pull on something. So we're going to have to quantify what their overall carbon Im- impact is going to be as well, their carbon footprint. And we just don't know. And we won't know until that product is commercialized and we have a better way to uh, really step back and look at the life cycle analysis of that. But at the same time, we have to step back for a minute and look at what grazing cattle do for the environment. When you look at range across the country, we are taking grass that has no nutritional value to us as humans. And with a simple animal, we are taking that and with a little help from some sunshine, turning that into high quality beef. In a lot of places where we are raising cattle, where we're feeding cattle, that is land that can't be turned over into carrot production. It is only good for grazing and for livestock feeding. So to come in and, and say that they are a one-for-one replacement for us is just not accurate. And then we will know more as we learn what the resource take is in trying to produce that product. And traditional meat has a great story to tell about nutritional value. Do we know the nutritional aspects of these new products? Now, that's the thing. We don't know the nutritional aspects because we have not been able to get our hands on any of it to test it ourselves. And if there has been any internal testing, it has not been published. So there is a question as to uh, what that nutritional value will be. And there is still a question as to how it will taste. Because, yes, they are taking sales from uh, bovine animals. But... A steak, a hamburger, those are really complex meats. And for them to be able to replicate that in the lab, I think they're having a trouble doing. And will it actually taste like a steak? We just don't know yet. One other issue, the hours uh, for truckers to be able to drive, where is that issue right now? So right now we have an exemption for livestock haulers. They are exempt from ELDs that will be in place at the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. We are working to extend that into the fiscal year 2020 appropriations bill. But we are also working on legislation that would give us extra driving time 
and put a 150 air mile exemption around the back end of a hall. We already have that on the front end of a hall. So if you can take 150 miles in the front end, 150 miles in the back end and have 15 to 18 hours of driving in between, we're going to cover most of the livestock hauling issues that we have in this country. So right now it's up to Congress to help us finish this out. All right, another issue we're watching closely. Colin, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Colin Whittall, he is the Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. Much more to come from here in Washington, D.C. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew. Let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. 
the Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean, or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, well, as we continue to... uh wait for movement on USMCA and Congress. We want to get an update on the situation in Mexico. Joining us now is Kim Adams, Vice President and COO of the U.S. Grains Council. Kim, thanks for joining us. Now, you were just in Mexico. Tell us about your trip there. Yeah, we had a really um, productive meeting, um, a couple of meetings. We met, of course, with a lot of our key partners in the biotech and trade space. You know, a lot of, of course, just you know, really long history in Mexico um, in terms of our presence there and and collaboration with a lot of our members and, um, of course, the industry in Mexico. So we met with a lot of those companies while we were down in Mexico City as well as with um, government officials to talk about USMCA and the and kind of movement on uh, various kind of trade issues. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture, wrapping up our broadcast today from Washington, D.C., part of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Washington Watch event. Joining me now is Kurt Kabarik. He is Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. And, Kurt, uh, last time uh, we talked, uh, we were probably talking about tax extenders, and here we are still talking about them. Any movement at all? Well, I'm... I'm disappointed that here we are again talking about tax extenders. I I wish at this point that we would have had success. Uh, Where we are today is uh, we've been lapsed for more than 15 months, going back to January 1st of last year. 
Uh, we've had a lot of conversations with our champions on the Hill. Uh, progress that we've seen, uh, Chairman of Finance and along with the ranking member introduced in February a, a bill to extend all of the temporary tax provisions called extenders, including biodiesel, for two years, 2018 and 2019. We viewed that as a positive step as a Senate position to ex extend the, the, these provisions for two years. Uh, just recently this month, or I guess late last month in April, we have a, a, a standalone bill introduced in the House of Representatives by Representative Finkenauer of Iowa and Mike Kelly of uh, Pennsylvania. Already has 40 co-sponsors, bipartisan, uh, on the committee, off the committee, from all areas of the country. So the fact of the matter is we, we, we recognize that there's strong support for biodiesel in Congress. There's strong support for the biodiesel tax incentive. Congress recognizes that when, when it's in place and when it's forward-looking, it works. Unfortunately, Congress... Uh, needs a little bit more than that to be able to get policies across the finish line. And, and that's where we are. We're trying to express the urgency of this issue to get them to focus and to deal with extenders. Senator Grassley always tells me it has to come out of the House. That's where it's got to come from. Do you feel that that bill that's there now can get enough support to get out of the House? I don't view that bill as uh, getting acted on by itself. The House isn't going to take up a standalone two-year extension of the biodiesel tax credit, but it demonstrates that there's support for that policy to express to the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. If, if 15 or 20 or, or 25 of these tax extenders could do the same thing, have a standalone bill out there and have 30 or 40 or 50 co-sponsors, that would demonstrate to the chairman of the committee that there's the political will to, to deal with an extenders package. And we've been told that, that the Ways and Means Committee and, and the chairman particularly recognizes the need to get these done to provide this policy certainty to folks who are counting on that policy from the federal government. Uh, they're just having a little bit of a tough time kind of getting over the hurdles. What impact are you seeing now in the industry to not having the tax credit? Oh, it's been, it's been horribly detrimental. Uh, we're now seeing, because of the duration that it's been lapsed, producers are no longer, I mean, they've got to make prudent business decisions. And the longer it goes without reinstatement, the more uncertain it becomes as to whether it is going to come back. So we have producers now who have already shuttered facilities. Uh, in the state of Iowa, we're aware that they're uh, probably statewide, they're around 50% capacity. Whereas if the tax credit were in place, they'd be at 100%. The fact of the matter is the demand is there for the fuel, the feedstocks are available, uh, but they need, they need to know. And part of it is, it, it's the nature of the credit. Because there's the assumption that it's going to come back, they have to price in that dollar gallon tax credit for every gallon they've sold since January 1st of 2018 in order to sell it. So most of my producer members are selling at or below uh, break even on the on the assumption that that tax credit is going to come back and make them whole at the whenever it's whenever it's enacted. You can but only they do can, that so long. They can't they can only so do that for so long. You're yeah. exactly right. We're talking with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. EPA has released their proposed RBO levels for the RFS. They still will not give biodiesel the uh, the increase that you're looking for. They ha they haven't released it. They've they've proposed it and sent it over to the Office of Management and Budget for interagency review. Uh, we've heard that it basically holds all uh, fuels flat, including biomass-based diesel, which again is it's un it's unfortunate and it's disappointing and it's frustrating when our industry has demonstrated the ability to produce above the levels that they set. And they, they refuse to provide that kind of guaranteed floor for bio, biodiesel production. If we had that signal, you know, we, we would get that 4 billion gallons of production online. 
Now, as you said, that's a proposal. We haven't seen it released yet, but it, it's being looked at. And it could be adjusted, but it, it's disappointing that they're starting off at a flat level. That's right, particularly when this president ran on a commitment to farmers and to biofuels producers to withhold and upstand the integrity of the RFS, holding it stagnant and then allowing his EPA to kind of operate in the dead of night on granting these small refinery exemptions that erode that, that, that commitment of volume uh, is, is entirely contradictory to this president's commitment. One other issue in the ongoing war with China on trade, biodiesel, that's not a big uh, market uh, for U.S. biodiesel, but we it looks like come June 1st, biodiesel will be a, a part of their retaliatory list of uh, products that they're, they're going to raise tariffs on. Why biodiesel if it's not that major a product for them? My, my assumption is that the, the Chinese have figured out the tie between uh, biodiesel production and the U.S. soybean farmer. And, you know, as you stated, it's not a significant market for us, but it, it simply adds to the headache and the headwinds that U.S. soybean farmers and biodiesel producers are dealing with, whether it's uncertain markets on trade, whether it's undermining of the renewable fuel standard, whether it's lack of certainty from Congress on a tax credit. Although we hear from all angles the support for green energy, yeah. American agriculture, uh, value-added clean energy, it, they're not putting... They're not putting words into action. So it's a political move. They, uh, they're, they're very strategic on the items they do put on that list. That's right. I, I, I presume that they recognize that uh, American agriculture could be this president's Achilles heel in these, these trade negotiations, and we're part of American agriculture, and they're probably trying to cover every, every facet they can. So hard times for the biodiesel industry and need some action, some positive action to help uh, the industry. Uh, this is a critical time for all of agriculture and the biodiesel industry in particular right now. We're a key component of the ag industry, adding billions of dollars to uh, soybean farmers, uh, providing you know, nearly 3 billion gallons of renewable fuel. If we simply had a, a bit of policy certainty at the federal level, to provide the certainty for this industry, we could do great things. But we're hamstrung by all of these uncertainties. With all the talk, with all the discussion about we need more green energy, we've got it right here. We've got the industry. We just need the support. And that makes it even more frustrating that that support hasn't been coming. Kurt, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Glad to be with you. Hope we have better news to talk about next time. I hope so, too. Kurt Kavarik, Vice Cinex President, Federal Affairs. Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all all engines. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives, solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit FSGoldStandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next.
All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today.